like to invite you once again to turn your attention to the 73rd division of the Psalms. I want to pick up a little bit from where we uh, spoke last week from subject of troubles. As we mentioned earlier, based on you know the singing that has gone before us, y'all sure that y'all have troubles this week? Are y'all y'all sure that y'all have had problems this week? You sure that uh, you've had things that have weighed on you this week? You know, it's amazing. Um, it's amazing what life can be like when the Lord visits you in the middle of troubles. Uh, it is just a wonderful and grateful and thankworthy thing that in the midst of the troubles and trials of this life, in the midst of difficulties in this life, in the midst of things that do seemingly overwhelm us and discourage us and break us down, it is a thankworthy thing that we can come to the house of God and God visit with us and allow us to uh, properly participate in worship to Him. And He assists us in the process. What a, what a great day this can be. What a day, great day this has already been. Now in 70, Psalm 73, <clears throat> Asaph had made this observation that truly God is good to Israel, beginning with verse 1, even to as of such are of a clean heart. But as for me, my feet were almost gone, my steps were well nigh slipped. When I was envious uh, at the foolish, when I saw the prosperity of the wicked. And obviously we noticed that his perspective on that was a little bit off-center. Just like my perspective, just like your perspective in life, as you may look at people and things around us, and we oftentimes are guilty of basing the goodness of God in our life on the amount of things that we have. The goodness of God is not to be measured by the things that we have. The goodness of God is measured by God. And though we pray to Him, though we ask Him for uh, either things in our life or events in our life to uh, fall out in pleasant ways, if He never did anything for us, other than the fact He saved us from hell, we are a blessed person. If you and I were to spend the remainder of our days as a beggar at the gate of the wealthy, being ignored and disregarded by the rest of the world for the remainder of our days, and though dogs would come and lick our sores, we would still be a blessed character. If in our last day, we are carried by angels into the land of God. All that we shall see on the other side of the grave will make everything we've ever experienced here a faint dream, a drop in the bucket. It'll be as nothing that's ever occurred compared to all eternity on the other side of the grave. And one of the, one of the observations that Asaph made about the wicked 
or the wealthy in his day was that they are not troubled like other men. What verse is that? Um, here he notices on, he says, they are not in trouble as other men. Verse 5, neither are they plagued like other men. Um, <clears throat> I, I hate to keep bringing certain things up because I feel like maybe I'm just beating a dead horse, as they say. Um, but it's something that has been weighing on a lot of people's minds for several years, and it's been something uh, that's impacted a lot of people. But this, this, this COVID thing that occurred to us a few years ago, um, at first, I did think it was a hoax, because I never believe anything the government tells me. They've been telling me to fear everything for 40 years. They told me to fear the, the coming ice age when I was in elementary school. They told me to fear acid rain that was going to fall from the skies and burn my flesh from off my bones. Now they're telling me to fear it doesn't matter. Take your pick. Got to be afraid of something. Well, then there was something to that. What I objected to the most was people's irrational reaction to it. And even more when I saw the popular in our nation and the wealthy in our nation, the athletes and the actors and even the politicians stand up and say, we're all in this together. We are not all in this together. If you make $100 million a year, you are not in the same boat that most of the rest of us are in. I cannot go an indefinite period of time without working and have the same amount of money and the same amount of food and the same amount of living as I did before I did all that. We are not in this in the same manner. We are not all in the same boat. There are some in this world who are not troubled like other people. There are things that they don't have to worry about like we do. Now, before we make this all about things that are physical, obviously the number one thing that God's people are worried about is the sin that is in them. The world around us is not concerned about sin. They don't care about it. As a matter of fact, they love it. John would tell us in uh, his little epistle, he said, uh, we know that we are of God, and the whole world lieth in wickedness. And when John says that in, in, in 1 John, when he says they lieth in wickedness, it gives the idea of reclining leisurely in this. There are multitudes in the world around us that recline leisurely in the wickedness of the world that goes around it. They, they want more of it. We want less of it. They want more of it. And that's really where the conflict in the public square comes to be. There are those who want more wickedness and we want less wickedness. And here we go fighting about seeing who's going to be in charge of making the rules, right? Remember what Job said, though, in uh, Job chapter 5 and verse 7. We covered this a little bit last week. That he says that yet man is born unto trouble as the sparks fly upward. Job would say in Job 14, verse 1, a man that is born of woman is a few days and full of trouble. If there's anybody in here 
not born of a woman, then I guess you could say you don't have any trouble. But I assume that we all kind of got here the same way. So we can all say we are of few days. So I've been here 20 years, 21 years in this place. Did you think it? Let's put some of that in perspective. You looked like I look now. When I got here that day 20 years ago, when I looked like the way I did then, I was young back then. And and y'all looked like me now. I didn't think y'all looked all that old. I still don't think I look all that old. But maybe that's my perspective being off-center. Or my perspective is on the center. I don't know. But it just seems like yesterday I was first here. It seems like just yesterday I was graduating. I still sometimes think I'm 18. I think I'm 18. And I do things that an 18-year-old ought to be able to do, and my body just laughs at me and says, well, actually, it kind of cracks up, but that's a whole other story. It cracks and it pops and it breaks, and it doesn't do what I think it ought to do because it has to remind me, you're not 18 anymore. Those days have gone quickly, like a fleeting shadow, as Job would say. man that is born of woman is a few days and... Full of trouble. He cometh forth like the flower he is cut down. He fleeth as a shadow and vanisheth away. Troubles walk with us throughout our life. Troubles walk with us on a regular basis. But throughout the the, the lesson that, that we learn from Asaph, is that he said in verse 16, when I thought to know this, it was too painful for me. When I... When I look out and I see the trouble uh, that, that a lot of God's people have in this world, and I see seemingly the joy and the uh, ease of life that the wicked have, he says, I, this, is, this is too painful for me. But it was too painful for me until I went into the sanctuary of God, and then understood I their end. When I understood to know this, As we said earlier, there is a time following the grave. And Paul would say that our present problems, our present condition, our present troubles, our present afflictions in this life are but for a moment. He says these light afflictions that we have in this life are but for a moment and they are not worthy to be compared to the eternal weight of glory that shall be revealed in us. What we shall see when we see the face of Christ will far exceed. As a matter of fact, I guess I could say it this way, when the Queen of Sheba came to Solomon in 1 Kings, and she saw, uh, she came to see the wisdom of Solomon, and she got there and she saw, uh, she saw the cupbearers and how happy they were. And she saw the servants and how happy they were. And when she saw the wealth and the majesty of Solomon and she heard his wisdom. She said, the half 
has not yet been told me. For that which I have seen has exceeded that which I heard. When you get to heaven, you will realize the half has not yet been told you. The preacher did not do a good enough job preparing you for how good it's going to be when you see the face of Christ. What you have seen, what you will see, far exceeded anything you've ever heard. He says, I understood this. I saw this when I went into the sanctuary of God. Couple with this. Um, now let's mention Psalm 37. We did not mention that last week, so we will begin now uh, this week in Psalm 37, verse 1. Psalm 37, verse 1. David says, fret not thyself because of evildoers. Neither be thou envious against the workers of iniquity. Oh, wasn't that what Asaph's problem was? Fretting himself because of evildoers? Envious of the workers of iniquity? They shall soon, they shall soon, they shall soon be cut down like the grass and wither as the green herb. Trust in the Lord and do good. So shalt thou dwell in the land, and verily thou shalt be fed. Delight thyself also in the Lord, and he shall give thee the desires of thine heart. Commit thy way unto the Lord, trust also in him, and he shall bring it to pass. And he shall bring forth thy righteousness as the light, and thy judgment as the noonday. Rest in the Lord, and wait patiently for him. Fret not thyself because of him who prospereth in his way, because of the man who bringeth wicked devices to pass. Cease from anger, and forsake wrath. Fret not thyself in any wise to do evil. Wow. Well, we'll just close the book and go home. And that's good enough, wasn't it? What if you spent the rest of your days just doing that? Trust in the Lord. Delight thyself in the Lord. Commit thy way unto the Lord. Rest in the Lord and wait patiently for Him. That last verse right there, verse 7. Rest in the Lord. And wait patiently on Him. If you don't have a problem with pride, I bet I can find another problem you've got. But I'm sure that we've all got a problem with pride. I know y'all do. I can look at you and tell. A little bit. You also have a problem with being impatient. I know you do. Because I'm impatient. I want my answers, and I want my answers now. Because I feel if I don't get these answers in the next you know, few minutes, next few hours, next day or so, this whole situation is going to fall apart and crumble. This entire thing is going to burn down. If I don't get an answer now. But, you know, we've pointed out from time to time and periodically throughout me being here, we've pointed out through the Bible how often God worked in long-term plans. He waited 40 years to deliver Israel through the wilderness. And there's a, there's a whole heap of preaching to that that I'm, I'm not really covering right now. But you know, there was 40 years before they got into uh, Canaan's land. M- Moses, he was 40 years in Egypt. And it came a point where he refused to be called the son of uh, Pharaoh's daughter. So he left. 
and then spent the next 40 years on the backside of a desert. And at 80 years old, he was then called by God to begin his ministry. Y'all, y'all, are y'all doing y'all's reading this week? You should have covered that this week. And his brother Aaron that was with him was three years older than him. So yet the ministry of 80 and 83. So if there's anybody in here who feels like your life has been a waste, hold on. God can still use you when you're 80. 83. I hear some groaning out there. there, There's some groaning to that. Wait a minute. The time frame is not quite the same as it is today, is it? But we can say this. Listen to this. We can say this. Moses lived 120 years, right? Because at 80, he was called to lead Israel out of Egypt. 40 years, they wandered through the wilderness. Moses died at 120. So we can say this. Two-thirds of Moses' life was spent waiting and learning. One-third of his life was spent going and leading. So, I'll give you that one free. You ain't got to pay for that one. That one's just, that one right there is free. But, you know, look at the time frame that God uses so often throughout the Scriptures. When Isaac asked his father, where is the lamb? Abraham didn't answer where the lamb was. It was about 1,500 years before John the Baptist said, behold, the Lamb of God. There's the answer to that question. See, children, sometimes the answer may come days and weeks and months and years down the road. I think that's a problem that has kind of developed in this, this current generation that if I, if I as an adult cannot give an adequate answer as to why to do something, then it doesn't need to be done. No, here's the deal. I may not can give you an adequate answer now, but if you will just do it and follow the process, you may learn why you should have done it down the road. You know, sometimes those who know what they're doing don't always know how to tell you to do what to do. Why to do what to do. Sometimes those who know what they're doing don't know how to tell others how to do what they do. In other words, you ever asked your grandmother how to bake a cake? What, does, what kind of words does she use? Pinch of this and a dab of that. What is a pinch? What is a dab? What is a little of this and a little of that? You know what? She just kind of knows. And that's why when grandma dies, the recipe dies with her. It's just, it's a gift she had. I'm an impatient person, but he says, rest in the Lord and wait patiently on him. Um, turn to First Kings eighteen. First Kings chapter eighteen. We'd like to notice an individual that <clears throat> had some trouble in life. Man by the name of Elijah. Y'all remember Elijah, right? It's an interesting thing about Elijah. There's not much of his history or his background that's given to us in the Bible. Until all of a sudden, uh, it's 1 Kings 17, verse 1, that uh, Elijah the Tishbite just kind of shows up on the scene. He's not mentioned any time before this. He just kind of shows up. 
And the first thing that he does is he comes to King Ahab and he tells him, because of thy wickedness, uh, I'm going to pray to the Lord and it's not going to rain for three and a half years. Well, isn't that interesting? Isn't that an interesting introduction to a prophet of God? Here I am, I'm on the scene, and guess what, Ahab? Famine is coming. Famine is coming because there's a drought that is coming. Three and a half years, it doesn't rain. Israel's afflicted. The nation is, is afflicted. But in the midst of that, as you can read, you can read just as well as I can. I won't go into this. Uh, in 1 Kings 17, God makes provision for his servant Elijah, leads him down by the brook. Ravens come and they feed him in the morning and in the afternoon, and he has water to drink from the brook. And then the brook dries up. Um, it would be well noted. It would be well noted that the idea for something to be strictly of God, it has to last forever. It's not biblical. The brook dried up when God got ready to send Elijah somewhere else. Give you an example of this. Many, many, many years ago, church I was attending, I was not ordained then. I was just, I was just a little gremlin like everybody else. But we were having Wednesday night Bible studies. Imagine that, a church studying the Bible. And it lasted for a period of time and, and then it kind of waned away. And I heard somebody down in the lunchroom say, see, I knew it wasn't of the Lord because it didn't last. And I said to him, I said, you know, some of us graduated high school and went to college. Some graduated college and got married. Some changed jobs. There's a whole different season that a lot of us young people went through. It lasted while it lasted. And then we did something else. The problem we get into sometimes as old Baptists is we want to hold on to something and strangle it to death long after it's dead and gone. And we don't know how to properly deal with that. The brook was there as long as it served God's purpose. When it did not serve God's purpose anymore, he dried it up and sent Elisha somewhere else. And he sent Elisha down to Seraphat, down to this widow's house. The Bible tells us that the cruise of oil and the cruise of meal did not fail until the drought was over. It lasted as long as it served God's purpose. And then something else was required. But now we find the three and a half years is over and Elijah has come back uh, to King Ahab and he's going to meet him face to face. 1 Kings 18, verse 17, And it came to pass, when Ahab saw Elijah, that Ahab said unto him, Art thou he that troubleth Israel? Alright, what have we got here? Who's really caused the trouble in Israel at this point? 
Ahab. And really not even just Ahab. There's somebody else in Ahab's family that's caused the problem. Who was it? Ahab's wife Jezebel, who was a priestess uh, or a worshiper of this false god Baal. And she's trying to set up her little idols all around town. And uh, Ahab really is kind of helpless to stop her from doing this. It's not Elijah that has troubled Israel. It's Ahab. Setting up false religion. Setting up false ideas. In other words, we are in the place that Isaiah spoke of in Isaiah chapter 2 about those who call evil good and good evil. And Ahab considers Elijah a troublemaker because he is not bowing down to the state religion. Now, in our day, the state has not set up a new religion. Or have they? Now, they're not parading down the streets with great big golden idols to Baal. They're not parading down the streets to great big wooden statues to Vulcan or Zeus or anybody else like that. But we preachers are being considered troublemakers because we refuse to recognize more than two genders in this world. We are considered to be troublemakers because we refuse to recognize anything except a man and a woman are to be married. It has become a great puzzle or a puzzling thing to see just how far the human race will go at trying to be foolish. We are living in a society right now where good is being punished and evil is being rewarded. Now, a lot of times folks will run out here and the first thing that they'll quote is, you know, Second Chronicles 7.14, if my people which are called by my name will humble themselves and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, then will I hear from heaven, I will heal their land. Sure, there are times when God's people need to repent. Uh, we oftentimes get accused of, of teaching that there's no need for repentance. If we're saved by grace, what does it matter what we do in the process? It does matter. Thank God it doesn't affect, affect what Jesus did. That's, that's what people don't get about that. I, I, I'm, more, I'm more hung on what Jesus did. Oh, I shouldn't have said that. I'm more stuck on, well, I like more what Jesus did than what I do. I guess I got more faith in that. But anyways, that's, a, that's, a, that's next week's message. I'm getting ahead of myself. Um, but we are considered troublemakers. We are considered problems. Because we will not bow down to the state religion of the vast uh, acceptance of widespread immorality in America. And Elijah says to Ahab, he says in verse 19, Excuse me, verse 18, he answered and said, I have not troubled Israel. 
but thou and thy father's house, and that ye have forsaken the commandments of the Lord, and thou hast followed Balaam. He, he points straight out where the problem is coming from. You and your father's house. And, and what I want to make note about this is, is he's not addressing Israel at this time. Notice here, he's not, he's not addressing the people of Israel for following after this. He's addressing Ahab himself. He goes on to address Israel in verse 21 when he says unto them, How long halt ye between two opinions? Look, if God is God, follow God. But if Baal is God, follow Baal. Stop trying to follow both of them at the same time. That's where the church is today. Or, and I, I use the term church very loosely. That's where organized religion is today. In other words, they're trying to figure out how God created the world and, and, and it evolved at the same time. They're trying to figure out how do we judge sin and yet be kind to the sinners. You know, what do we do with the fornicators? What do we do with the adulterers? What do we do with the homosexuals, folks like that? How do we judge sin? How do, how do we make a stand, plant a flag, and still be kind to, to ignorant and unlearned people? Now, if you're not perplexed by that, maybe you're better than I am, and I will gladly give you the pulpit next Sunday to help me out. No problem with that. But what does he say to Israel? He says, how long halt ye between two opinions? Beg God to give us an answer. Beg God to give us the strength to recognize what is right and how to apply that in our life. Because then here comes Elijah and he calls out these prophets of Baal and he says, well, let's, let's have a contest then. Uh, we'll, we'll bring out a couple, of, a couple of animals here and I'll take one and you can take one and, and, and we'll just see who calls fire down from heaven to consume our sacrifice and we'll let that God be God. And Baal, I'll let you all go first. And boy, this is, this is an interesting thing right here is they build their little altar and they, they put the animal up there on top of this altar and they scream and they shout and, well, there ain't no answer. Verse 20, 20 verse 26, and they, took, they, and they took the bullock which was given them and they dressed it and called on the name of Baal from morning even until noon, saying, Oh, Baal, hear us! But there was no voice. There was no voice because there were no Baal. There was no voice, nor any that answered, and they leaped upon the altar which was made. We're getting kind of frantic here. And here comes Elijah. And Elijah came down, <laughs> came down here at noon. I wonder if this is where we get the phrase, we met at high noon. I don't know. I've, I've often wondered about this. And Elijah mocked them. And Elijah cries out, and Elijah uh, uh, cried aloud. Let me see. Elijah mocked them and said, cry aloud, for he is a God. Won't you like that? He's a God. It's okay for him to be a God. A little g-God. Either he's talking or he's pursuing. He's going after something or, or he's in a journey. Or peradventure, he sleepeth and must be awake. 
I'd like you to listen. I'd like you to listen very carefully to what Elijah is doing here. He's mocking the people because their God is not answering. And he's saying, you have to try harder. You have to do more. You don't have a deep enough connection with your God. It's not working and it's your fault. Y'all hang your hat on that nail. I promise. We're going to visit that next week again. But look what is look what he's doing here. Cry loud. Speak up. Say something else. Can your God not hear you? And then it says they cried aloud in verse 28 and cut themselves after their manner with knives and lancets till the blood gushed out upon them. Who? Uh, y'all don't know anybody like that today, do you? Y'all don't know anybody in your life. Did you know anybody growing up? Was there anybody in high school that was so messed up in their head that they cut themselves? Don't know anybody like that, do you? I'm convinced that the majority of problems that we're having in America is not because God is indifferent, but because people are looking in the wrong direction for their answers. And they're not getting their answers. And so they afflict themselves because there must be something more wrong with me that I need to do. Verse 30, and we'll, we'll close out here with Elijah because we want to get to one more here in a minute. But, you know, Elijah is being accused of troubling Israel, right? That's what we're talking about. No, it, it's not Elijah that's troubling Israel. Um, is, is it possible? Is it just possible that when you read through the Bible, you come across a man named Jonah, and there were calamities that came in his day, right? Because Jonah was going the wrong, wrong direction. So, sure, there's, there's a boat for Christians to sail in. There's a boat for God's people to sail in. If they're uh, going the wrong direction, you can kind of expect troubles to come your way. But there's also a boat for the wicked to ride in as well. Because, you see, it never occurs to anybody that this climate catastrophe, whatever we're having, it's not a result of using too many fossil fuels. It's not a result because you're driving a great big SUV. It just never occurs to people that God is slightly upset with the killing of the unborn. It just never occurs to people that God is just slightly upset with people mutilating the body He gave them. Or mutilating the body of the child that He gave them. Because you're trying to race to be the next politically correct champion in a land of immoral people. One thing that Elijah had to do, before Elijah could offer his sacrifice here on this mountain, it says here in verse 30 that Elijah said unto all the people, Come near unto me. 
And all the people came near unto him, and he repaired the altar of the Lord that was broken down. That's a problem, folks. That was a problem in Israel that the altar of God had been broken down and forgotten. We may have to do some efforts in our own lives to repair an altar in our heart, an altar in our home, an altar at our church for the Lord God. You know the rest of the story here? Fire comes down from heaven from God, consumes Elijah's sacrifice, and Elijah wins for the day. Um, And then that just causes more problems after he slays the 850 prophets of Baal. And and what's interesting is these priests of Baal that that you're looking at here, the the Hebrew word for priest is kohen, K-O-H-E-N. They are uh, they are Kohen Baals, K O H E N and Baal B A A B A A L S. They're Kohen Baals, and we've got an English word that's very similar to this called cannibal. It's an interesting group of people that Elijah his is here dealing with. They aren't just Scripturally different. They are idyllically completely different. And he runs up on these, what might be called savages, who just assume kill you and eat you is to shake your hand. Wonder what our politically correct climate would think of. Well, I know what they would think of. They'd probably tear his statue down because he was so mean to people. And he was not loving and kind to the, be politically correct to those who just slightly differed. Moving on to Matthew chapter 2. In Matthew chapter 2, remember there was a time just a few weeks ago where we... Uh, did a couple of sermons entitled, Jesus is coming, so what? Jesus is coming, so what? What does that mean? Well, guess what? Jesus is coming, so what? Well, Matthew chapter 2, verse 1 tells you, so what? Came to, uh, now, when Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judah in the days of Herod the king, behold, there came wise men from the east to Jerusalem, saying, Where is he that is born king of the Jews? For we have seen his star in the east and have come to worship him. And when Herod the king had heard these things, he was troubled. All Jerusalem with him. Jesus is coming. And Herod is a bit troubled by this. Herod is not troubled because he's a sinner and the Savior has come. Herod is not troubled because he is afraid that when uh, the Savior comes, he won't be included. Herod is troubled because he thinks somebody is coming to take his earthly throne. Because these wise men come to worship him that is born king of the Jews. I don't know how Herod became king. We know how people sort of become president in our day. Maybe they get voted in. Maybe they get put in. 
Or maybe they shoot the person in front of them. Who knows how people get to be where they are today. There was, there was a thing uh, when Paul went before uh, Agrippa, I believe it was, King Agrippa. Paul said, I'm, I'm a Roman citizen. He said, I'm free born. And Agrippa had a problem with that. He says, with much money did I acquire this position. He bought his freedom or he had bought his kingship. He bought himself to where he was. And he's kind of offended by somebody who just is that. You know, this offends a lot of religious people. Election can't be true. You mean God's just going to save you because He wants to? Look at all the good works I've done. Look how many times I've been baptized. Look how many times I've repented. I've gone to church since I was four. You mean that God God might just save you just because He wants to? That's exactly right. He might just save you. And as a matter of fact, He is going to save you just because He wants to. To make Himself look even better. Herod is troubled. And all Jerusalem with him. Jerusalem is not troubled at the coming of the Messiah as much as they they are troubled because Herod is troubled. Because when he gets troubled, heads start rolling. And he then comes out of this and he kills every child two years old and under according to the time frame that the wise men had given him. And in other words, Herod gets, Herod gets some news. Herod gets some news back here at the house. There's a conversation that goes on. And Herod can't really do anything about that. But what he does then is he turns his anger and his wrath on everybody around him. So in other words, you may go to work and you may have a manager, you may have a supervisor, a boss, president, whoever it is, and you may think, wow, why is this person such, why are they so hard-headed? Why are they so mean and evil to everybody at work? Well, in one case, I have noticed that there are a lot of people that have grown up nowadays, if you don't yell at them or holler at them, you can't get them to do anything. You know, they live in a home where commandments don't mean anything until you yell at them. So, your command doesn't mean anything until you yell at them. So, I'll give, I'll give that part. But I do know this. That if somebody cannot do something at home, by human nature, by pride, by sinfulness that is in them, they will gravitate and go somewhere where they can do something. And they just make the situation a lot worse. You remember over there when we when we preached a little bit through the book of uh, the book of Zechariah. It's uh, Zechariah three, Zechariah two or three, where Joshua the high priest, uh, not the high priest that was in Moses' day, that led them through Canaan. This is several hundred years afterwards. But Joshua the high priest is standing before the Lord in his rags and in his dirty clothes. And that Satan is at his right hand ready to uh, accuse him. Friends, 
When you look at somebody in this life and you look at the problems that they are having and you look at the turmoil that's in their life and you look at the darkness that's in their eyes and the depression that's in their face and, and the coldness that, that, that's in their hearts, sometimes it's not because that person is a fool. Sometimes that person is being spiritually attacked by things you can't see. Sometimes there are forces against that person that you are not aware of. And so here is Herod. He's troubled by this. Yes, he brings death. And yes, he brings destruction. But he doesn't really bring anything that God can't fix. Now, you, you, certainly, you certainly don't want to look at at, at anybody in this situation because it, it was prophesied in the Old Testament, you know, them weeping and lamenting uh, for their children, for their children were not. Their, their, their children had died, they were not there. You certainly would not want to look at someone and say, hey, get over it, it's okay. Absolutely not. But as a group collective, we have to remind ourselves there's not a thing this world can do to us that God can't fix. There's not a single thing that can happen to you right now, that God can't fix. As a matter of fact, He promised us in the book of Revelation that when we see Him in this new heavens and new earth, that He will make all things new. He did not say He will make new things. He will take you a thing and make you new. So Jesus came. Troubled Herod, simply because Herod thought Jesus was coming for, for, uh, for His throne. Well, i got news for you, Herod. Jesus didn't care about your throne. Your throne means nothing to Jesus. His kingdom is not of this world. His kingdom resides in a place where rust does not corrupt, moth can't enter in and eat it away. It, his kingdom rests in a place where it is incorruptible, it is undefiled, and it fades not away. He sits on a throne where nobody will take Him from it. He sits on His throne that will never be abdicated. He will never walk off of it. He will never give it up. And nobody will ever tear Him down. He sits on a throne that is in the heavens, eternal, and you can't stop Him. He ain't worried about your little seat down here in Jerusalem. But now, in Matthew 14, Matthew 14, Disciples, they've got some trouble. Disciples are in a, in a boat by themselves. I'd like for you to read Matthew 14, beginning verse 22. And I'd like for you to notice that the disciples in Jesus' day and the men that God called to uh, pen the Bible, are no better than you are. They are not super Christians. They were not just some people who walked on clouds of air and lived in ivory towers all their life and never had a problem or trouble. Jesus tells them specifically in Matthew 14, verse 22, that Jesus command, constrained His disciples to get into a ship and to go before Him unto the other side. What did he say? Get in a boat, sail across, go to the other side. Right? Did Jesus say, get in the boat, 
sail halfway out and drowned and die. Not what he said. But what happens? In the midst of, of the process, there becomes a problem. But the ship, verse 24, was now in the midst of the sea, tossed with waves, for the wind was contrary. Uh, if you cannot see your own life, that the world, the flesh, and the devil is contrary to you right now, you haven't been paying attention. From the cradle to the grave, God is still sovereign. It does not matter what trouble, what problem, what pitfall you occur in this life. Paul said, neither angels, nor principalities, nor powers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor height, nor depth, nor any other creature, Romans 8, can separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus. In the fourth watch of the night, Jesus went under them walking on the sea. See, here's what we said. Troubles don't trouble Jesus. Maybe we should just name all of this. Troubles don't trouble Jesus. Because they don't. Here He comes walking on the sea. And when the disciples saw Him walking on the sea, they were delighted. Here He comes. That, is that not what your text says? Oh, they were ecstatic. Jesus is here. No, it's not, is that not what your text, that not what your version says? No. They were troubled. Saying it is a spirit and they cried out fear. Or cried out for fear. But straightway Jesus spake unto them saying, Be of good cheer. It is I. Be not afraid. I, I don't know that there's any more I don't know that there's any more wonderful phrase that is found in the Bible than that phrase. Be of good cheer. It is I. Be not afraid. Uh, I'd like you to notice that that phrase was not told to Herod. That phrase was reserved for a special group of people that needed it in their darkest time. That phrase is reserved for you, God's children. For you to know that in the midst of your troubles and in the midst of your problems and in the midst of things that you think are going to drown you and kill you and overwhelm you, here He comes. Jesus is coming. So what? Be of good cheer. Hey, it's me. Be not afraid. And of course, this is the famous passage where Peter answered and said unto him, If it be thou, Lord, then bid me come unto thee on the water. And Jesus says, Come. I know you intended to do what was right. I know you wanted to follow Christ with all your heart this brand new year. I know you wanted to do better. Have you messed up yet? It's always kind of been a puzzling thing to me. Somebody says, come down front, repent of your sins, and you're saved. 
<clears throat> oh, by the way, not only do you need to repent of your sins now, every night that you go to bed, you need to repent of your sins. Every single night, ask God to forgive you for that day uh, so that he, maybe He protects you through the night in case you die and you wake up tomorrow morning and you do it all over again. My, my problem with that is I'm not really saved. I'm saved till I screw up again. And now i got to repent of that? My goodness, I, why even leave the house? Why not stay home and just constantly repent of your sin until you die? Because what happens when you get up from that altar? What happens when you get up and leave if you, if you do something foolish and you sin and you die? By every logical definition, hell is your home. If you haven't fulfilled every step that you have even laid out for yourself. Well, here's Peter. Peter gets out boisterous and he starts looking around. He was afraid. And beginning to sink, he cried saying, Lord, save me. I'd like you to notice here, I don't think Peter's talking about hell when he says, save me. He says, I have a problem right now. Lord, help. We might could ridicule Peter. Uh, we might could make fun of those who fail at what they were doing. <clears throat> Peter is the only one that got out of the boat. Peter is the only one that did something. Nobody else too afraid. They stayed at home. Peter is the only one that got out of the boat. I don't know how far he walked. But as far as I know, ain't nobody else been able to walk on water. Except Jesus. David says to us in uh, 20th Psalm, in Psalm 20 and verse 1, y'all should have read Psalm 20 this week. You have encountered it Friday. Did you read what verse 1 says? Psalm 20 and verse 1 says, The Lord hear thee in the day of trouble. The Lord hear thee in the day of trouble. The name of the God of Jacob defend thee. Send thee help from the sanctuary and strengthen thee out of Zion. Uh, send thee help from the sanctuary. Where y'all at today? Sanctuary of the Lord. Have you heard anything? Have you read anything? Has anything been pointed out to you to help you in the next week? Notice verse 7. Notice verse 7 of Psalm 20. He says, Some trust in chariots and some in horses, but we will remember the name of the Lord our God. Chariot wheels can fall off. As they did crossing the Red Sea. Horses can be shot down. Our God shall never fall. Our God shall always stand. And He really is the only one that can hear you in time of trouble. Baal couldn't hear the prophets of Baal because there weren't a bell to hear. I guess they should have got the Nobel Prize, but that's another story. But when Elijah called, God heard, God listened, God answered. 
fire came down, consumed the sacrifice, and delivered Elijah from his troubles. Same God that lived then still lives now. And he can still hear. He can still answer. And he can still deliver in times of trouble. Thank you for your good and patient attention this morning.